Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we share our thoughts on Shazam! How well did The Walking Dead end its season and could we be seeing the end of GameStop? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to all of our great programs as we cover the world of pop culture at least twice a week. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He is our own Shazam from Humanica Media. You got to check out everything that's going on today at HumanicaMedia.com, Humanica Media on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. Ready to Shazam right up there. It is Josh Peterson. What's going on, man? What up, what up, what up? Just closing down the weekend and uh, talking some pop culture, it would seem. It's a great month for pop culture. Obviously, we've got Endgame coming at the back end. You've got Pet Cemetery that debuted in theaters. You also had Shazam, of course, which you're going to be talking about here in a second because I've got a review of Shazam coming up here. But there's also a lot of great stuff going on as far as the Level Up Expo that we're going to be at here later this month, including doing a panel. We've got the Retro City Games Charity Game Night that we've got coming up here also later in the month. And NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, is this week. I'll be there checking out everything that's going on. And if you run a radio station or if you got a podcast network and you're going to be there, meet up with me while you're there at the NAB. Love to hear from you and love to hear your thoughts on the pop culture cosmos. So it's a great time for pop culture right now. A lot of cool things going on. We've got Daphne Matthew from the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead. She's back again. She's closing out season nine of The Walking Dead. How did it end in her opinion? She's going to share her thoughts coming up later on the program. Plus also as well, Brett Allen from the Open Mic Podcast and Confessions of a Single Dad. He's here to stop by. We're going to be starting a little bit of series with a lot of our good friends, podcasters, and friends alike telling us their thoughts on a particular movie or character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Both Daphne Matthew and Brett Allen are going to be doing it on today's show. Not only going to talk about what their favorite character or movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, but how it ties into Avengers Endgame. Plus, we're also going to be talking about what's going on with GameStop because there's some news that came out earlier this month that are, is really kind of concerning if you're a fan of GameStop and the brick-and-mortar game outlets that are there. Your future may be changing when it comes to being able to purchase games over the counter. We're going to talk about that a little bit more on the back end of the show. But first, my friend, it was Shazam. It hit theaters over the weekend. And it actually did, well, if you listen to our Friday show, 
It did about as well as, as we would hope it would because it came out to around $55, $56 million domestically here at the box office this past weekend. Actually, it's a very good start. And well, like what I said on Friday, if that was the case, you know what? That is above expectations and Warner Brothers has to be happy about that. Plus also they did another $100 million outside the U.S., tolling right now over $150 million, which is a pretty good start for this type of movie, which is not one of the most popular or or the most prominent characters out there in the DC universe. Your thoughts on Shazam's performance this weekend, and does this mean that there's good signs up ahead for Shazam and how he will interact going forward in the DC movie universe? I would hope so. If, if Shazam does well, I, I'm kind of confused on the distributing of this one because this one's New Line Cinema, right? So is that owned by Warner Brothers? I have a feeling either it is or it's just being the way it's being set up because you're right, it is something that is being distributed by New Line, but the it is incorporation with Warner Brothers from what I'm reading as far as the different movie sites, including Box Office Mojo and IMDb. New Line is owned by Warner Brothers and that's how it's being distributed. Yeah, it's kind of different this time around because it's not the usual just straight up Warner Brothers like Aquaman, Wonder Woman, the Batman movies, and Superman movies as well. Well, it kind of makes sense, though, if you think about how for modern fans, it's a lesser known property. It would make sense that Warner Brothers would maybe try to cut costs somewhere. But my concern would be, are we going to get like an Incredible Hulk situation, you know, where he can have that one film, but he can't be in any others in if there's like a falling out or something. So you saw it, you know, and I'm planning on seeing it, but it's successful and people seem to like the hero. It would make sense that they would move him into a more incorporated type scenario like Justice League or something or some kind of ensemble film where they could kind of bridge the gap between family, the family friendly aspects that the DCU has been lacking and the darker side that the fans have come to know and love, I guess is a questionable term, but you know, the, the endearing part of it that people keep going back for more. So kind of bridging the gap between the dark and the lighthearted, kind of like what Aquaman did. So it'd be interesting to see. It would make sense that they put him in a role like that. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him, where they go with him. But you saw it, like I said, so you probably know better than I do what kind of direction they might be headed in. Well, before I give a review, I'm going to try and avoid as many spoilers as I can, trying to go ahead and, and keep it spoiler-free as best as possible. But before I go ahead and do that, I want to ask you a question that I'm not sure if I approached you on our Friday show. I have to listen back to it again, but I don't think I did. When it comes to Shazam in the DC Universe, as far as movie-wise, would you equate it like Box Office Mojo did to Ant-Man and some other places as well? I see him getting the kind of comparisons to Ant-Man as how he's thought of and how it's going to be received by audiences. Yeah, I would say so, because DC kind of needs a property like that, though, because Aquaman did well, Wonder Woman does well, or did well, and from what I understand, like, the stuff that they've screened of, you know, other upcoming DC films seem to be getting pretty good reactions, but they haven't really explored any aspects of that universe that aren't dark, I guess you could say, so it makes sense that they would throw this in there and be a more comedic side, because, yeah, they have one aspect of comedy with Aquaman, which is more sarcastic, but with this one, this is something for kids, you know, you Marvel has done a great job of being able to have a movie that kids can watch and adults, but DC on the other hand has always done stuff that's more aimed towards adults and hardcore Batman fans, people who have been fans of the DC stuff in the nineties, which was super gritty. It's a good move to bring Shazam into it because yeah, I guess he is kind of like 
Ant-Man. They took a risk on it, and it was a risk that ended up paying off in the end, according to box office numbers. Well, let's get into what I thought about the movie, and that leads into what you were talking about just now about being family-friendly and Shazam being that kid-friendly, family-friendly type of superhero. The movie itself, at times, like you said, wants to go ahead and corner that market, but also provide some pretty shocking scenes which kids under 10 shouldn't be seeing. It's over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which means over 90% of the critics that they go ahead and screen at Rotten Tomatoes have given it a positive review. Then you go to Metacritic and it tells a different story. And there it goes into the low 70s as far as the overall rating that these critics give. So yes, they're giving it a positive score, but unfortunately, they're not giving it as high as everybody wants them to do. And you know what? On the show on Friday, I said there were some out there that were saying this is the most fun, this is the best DC movie, and some are saying that. But after watching, I'm not going to be one of those people because I would not really give it that high of a score. In fact, I'm giving it an even lower score than what I gave Captain Marvel recently. The other Captain Marvel, Marvel's Captain Marvel, and if you want to check out my thoughts on that, that's at popculturecosmos.com. That I gave a mediocre score to, and this one's going to be even a little bit lower, but still remains a positive, only because of the fact that Zachary Levi as Shazam is a winner. It's a total 100% hit as far as him having that exuberance, that childlike enthusiasm in playing the role. It's unfortunate, though, that everything else around him is just utterly just not that good at all, not that well-constructed, not that well-directed, not that well-written, and not that well-thought-out, especially the school scenes. I'm a stickler for details, and the way that these school scenes are set up and as far as they're structured are just not very well-thought-out, which leads you into the other aspects of the film, which are supposed to be the more important, but if you can't get out of the fact that these school scenes are so bad, the rest of the movie seems to, to falter because of it, and the battle scenes with Dr. Zavanna and Shazam, most of the good stuff, unfortunately, you've already seen on the trailers. And the best part about the actual movie itself, you don't see as much as you like, and that's the scenes you see in the trailer with him learning his superpowers. You want to go ahead and see more of that because that's the funnest part of the movie. And unfortunately, you do not get enough of that or as much as I think a lot of people would like. It does have some very slight laughs every now and then but it's not as funny as I thought it would be. Overall, like I said, the reason why I'm giving it a positive score is because Zachary Levi killed it as far as his character is concerned, being able to portray a 14, 15-year-old boy that's transformed into the body of Shazam. And to me, that actually made it worthwhile. But this time around, for me, it was kind of a disappointing letdown because I had heard such advanced good word before I came into the movie. And I came out of the movie theater going, I don't know what all the fuss was all about because this movie really isn't that great. It's okay at best and not much more. Was there anything specific that stuck out that made it just okay? Or was there just some standards you were hoping it would reach and it didn't quite get there? Well, like I said, the school stuff is absolutely horrible. Just the way it's structured, the way it looks so phony, the way it's dealt with, the school structure itself. If people put any thought into it, and I couldn't help putting thought into it because it was very formulaic, but even more so with all these tropes they did within the school environment, which were pretty much a throwaway in my estimation. Then you get into what's going on with the rest of the film and Dr. Zavanna's motivation to try and go ahead and garner all the powers of Shazam. 
And on the way there, he's just not made to look very threatening or very menacing at all. And it's just, to me, the material that was written for it, it's just very formulaic in the way it approached each scene. And unfortunately, just didn't materialize the way I wanted to. It just seemed to just go ahead and almost like a paint-by-numbers type format as far as a superhero origin movie is concerned. And at times, it wasn't even done very well at that. But like I said, the only good part to me was Zachary Levi. He just did an outstanding performance as Shazam. He is Shazam because he does have that boyish nature, that childhood-like exuberance that I think really comes through on screen. And for me, he's the only pleasant thing about the movie that I could really get out of it. Even with the the ending taking place as far as some different aspects of the Shazam culture coming into play, just his performance as far as how he would react, because he reacts at certain points in time in the film like a 14, 15-year-old boy would. And then he realizes things need to change in his life in order to go ahead and accomplish what he needs to accomplish. So the third act is a, a little better, but not by much over the rest of the film. But yes, overall, it's just you have this great character. You have this great performance in a narrative that's just really letting him down on all facets of the movie. Well, I mean, at least they got that important aspect of his character, right? The the adult acting like a child. I want to ask you this. So do you think that it's going, did they set it up for a sequel? Were there, what, tell us about the after credit scenes. Does it shows that there's promise for something to come next? There is one scene. There's two actual bonus scenes after the credits, one mid credit and one after credit. And one of them does imply something going forward in the future for the next Shazam movie. Whether or not people have speculated as far as Black Adam or any of the other villains or anything going on, that's up to you to determine what that will be. But yes, there is one scene after the credits that you do need to see. The other actually does not need to be seen at all. It's just some type of throwaway deal that, again, reminds me of what exactly they are doing over the course of the film with just so many narrative letdowns across the board throughout the film that they would take one of these end credit scenes and just basically choose it as a throwaway and not choose it as something more constructive to go ahead and tell a larger narrative in the DC movie universe or even the Shazam movie universe as well. Okay, so going forward, what would you recommend to the writers in order to... What were you hoping to get out of it? Like I said, the reason why I went into the theater, the reason why I went to the movie was because the trailers really bought me and really started to get me into. Once I started really examining them, I had said before that which one was I more excited about, Shazam or Aquaman? And I had said Aquaman. And I know a lot of people were actually more excited about Shazam. But as the trailers kept coming out for Shazam, I got more and more interested in. And it just seemed like it was going to tell a great narrative, a great cohesive story about this runaway who's given an opportunity to go ahead and become a hero. And even though it does try its best to tell the tale, it doesn't do very many favors for him overall. And you're given the sense that there could have been so much more done to make him even better and a bigger entity in the DC movie universe instead of, you said it yourself, you said that you didn't think Shazam is a sidekick in the DC universe. But unfortunately, after watching Shazam, to me, he actually looks like a sidekick in the DC movie universe at this point in time. I don't see him as a key character unless 
things change. And if that's the case, Shazam 2 has to be all about bringing his status up and making him more important and making him feel like he's more valuable to the DC universe than what he was perceived to be in the original Shazam movie. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Shazam because they hit theaters this weekend, beating expectations. That's a great, that's great news for new line and Warner brothers. So hopefully we would like to see more coming up and maybe even a better narrative going forward for Shazam. What are your thoughts on Shazam pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com also as well. Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking to Brett Allen of the Open Mic Podcast. He's going to share his thoughts on his favorite memories from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how those memories tie into Avengers Endgame. And then right after that, we're going to be talking to Daphne Matthew from the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead. She's going to be sharing her thoughts on season nine on The Walking Dead, how it ended up in her mind. We're going to hear that, plus her thoughts on a Marvel memory and how it also ties into Avengers Endgame coming up as well. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. All right. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us once again, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is Avengers Endgame coming out later this month. And we have already started with so many great thoughts already from us at the Pop Culture Cosmos on what we think is going to go on with Avengers Endgame. But we want to hear out there their thoughts and, and the influences of the Marvel Cinematic Universe when it comes to Avengers Endgame. So I posted out invitations out there to, to see if some great people wouldn't mind joining us and telling us their thoughts on a movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has influenced them so much and how it applies to what's going on in Avengers Endgame. And you know what? One of the first people that signed up is actually a great podcaster that's out there. You got to catch two of his awesome podcasts. The one that everybody probably knows already is the Open Mic Podcast. You got to catch it today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so many other outlets. But also, he just started up Confessions of a Single Dad. You got to check that one out as well. It is an awesome podcaster indeed. And I want to welcome to our show, Brett Allen. Brett, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. I always like talking to fellow podcasters and movies and anything pop culture related. So thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Glad to have you here. And again, if you get a chance, check out his two awesome shows as soon as you can, because they are definitely great listens. But we're here to talk Marvel, my friend. And yes. first off, I guess the movie that you think in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which now is going on 11 years old now, 22 movies in, what are your thoughts on the movie you think that is your favorite and how that movie influences what's going to be going on in Avengers Endgame? 
Well, I have to be honest, my friend. I'm a purist. And for me, it's the original Iron Man, the one that kicked it off 11 plus years ago. Still today, one of my favorite movies. And 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 the reason why I like it so much is because in my little humble opinion, <laughs> not that it matters a whole lot, but in my opinion, I think that's really what set the stage for how superhero movies should be made. I think they did an awesome job, I think, with the technology and the special effects that they had at that particular time. They just did an amazing piece of work. And in 10 plus years later, I think the special effects and, and everything that goes along with that is just as good as what they've been putting out today. The movies that have just come out recently, Captain Marvel, and of course, Endgame coming up. And so I think that it's just one of the best films. Out of, I like all of them, but that one in particular stands out to me the most. It's just the one, in your opinion, has held up, and it kind of created the template for a lot of these Marvel origin stories going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think just for the simple fact that the directing, the acting, in my opinion, was top-notch. I'll be honest, I was a DC movie guy for a long time, and when they started coming out with those Dark Knight movies with Christian Bale, I thought to myself, this is how these type of superhero movies should be made. Not a ton of famous people in them, not, you know, a whole lot of this or a whole lot of that. And it was a great story. And then, of course, you know, when the Iron Man film started coming out, I thought, man, these guys are doing such an amazing job. And I think it has set the tone and will continue to set the tone for what's coming out here for Endgame here in just a couple of weeks, I think. Well, it just started off with on a bad note as far as earlier in the century for Marvel with Daredevil, Elektra. Yes. And oh, just, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't really have the greatest reputation. And also the Incredible Hulk movie, or the first Hulk movie, I should say, with Eric yes. Bana, which I think is underrated, but it's still not, not the greatest movie at all. No, I, I don't think it's the greatest, but I think in a certain way, Ang Lee is a great director. I think he's done a lot of really great things. And I feel like he took a decent swing at trying to make a, a Marvel movie. And the movie wasn't horrible, but I, I kind of think it maybe gave us a precursor or a glimpse maybe of how those types of movies could potentially be done if given the right script and, and the right actors and, of course, the right director. I agree with you I, I, totally on that because it just gave you that idea of what was going on. And, and Ang Lee... He's gone on to do some great work, obviously, with a lot of other stuff he's doing, including Life of Pi, which garnered so many awards during the course of, mm -hmm. of its run. And yeah, absolutely. He, you know, he's been okay with what went on. And no, every you know, people seem to forget about that one in the tunes of Marvel yes. history. They only seem to tune in on Blade, and that's pretty much it as far as <laughs> anything. I forgot quality. about that one. Blade. Well, Blade to me, Blade is the only quality Marvel movie. You can you can argue about Del Toro's Blade 2 or even Blade 3 with Ryan Reynolds hamming it up, showcasing a later time in, in life that he would be going ahead and find the opportunity to really accentuate his character and his yes. ideals with Deadpool later on. I agree with you 100% on that. You know, it's funny, I forgot about Blade. That's kind of another underrated film, I think. He's not one of those, I think, typically known marvel heroes or maybe an anti-hero so to speak now not to sidetrack our conversation but i would love to see them do another blade film and just do it right i know there was a tv series for a while and it was okay 
But I think given the right, again, I say this director and script, a good actor, it would be great for them to revamp that whole blade thing and maybe somehow weave him into the Marvel universe. I don't know how they would do it, but it would be interesting to see it happen. If they do it with the X-Men, I have a feeling they're going to do it with Blade because a lot of people like me out there, and it sounds like you as well, have a lot of good feelings towards Blade as a character that I think it would work under the the most extreme. But you know what? It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and so far they've hit on all the right notes. So I wouldn't put this past them because I think at some point in time, Blade might be an effective tool down the road to be able to, I guess, pick up the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point in time because I'm worried after Endgame, the next phase of Marvel movies, as we get an influx of more new superheroes in, maybe Blade will be something familiar that a lot of people would want to see. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't know if Captain Marvel is supposed to sort of be the continuation of all of that or if they're going to introduce more characters in this last film. I'm not sure, but I agree with you, my friend. I think Blade would be a good way to fit things in with the X-Men. I think it could work out really well if if they decide to do that. Maybe they already have that <laughs> in their hip pocket and they just haven't told us yet. I'm sure it's right there on the on the whiteboard on Kevin Feige's office, how he yes. wants to lay it out. <laughs> and, and now that he has uh, the, the all the Fox properties already with the Disney Fox merger that's already out and done with it, you know, he can now go ahead and plan accordingly. Iron Man obviously is, is a great suggestion. He actually got the ball rolling and all that. And Robert Downey Jr. has done a sensational job in the role. How does his plight seemingly fit alongside with what's going on in Avengers Endgame. What do you foresee happening? Let's put on that hat as far as maybe the fortune teller is concerned <laughs> and just try to foresee what you think may go on with Robert Downey Jr.'s character as Iron Man in Endgame. Well, I honestly feel like in Endgame, he's kind of paying for the sins, so to speak, of everything that he's done so far in the other films. You know, if we wind the clock back to Iron Man 1, where this all started, he was promoting and financing weapons and all of these things. And this character was sort of born out of the Iron Man character, sort of born out of the fact that he realized he had messed up and was trying to right the wrongs of some of the mistakes that he had made. And so I think we find him in this film that we're going to see here, sort of maybe trying to make final amends, so to speak, of some of the things that he has done. Now, outside of that, I know he had said that he was done with the Iron Man films and really didn't want to do another one. But I think they could maybe squeeze out one more sort of after this, potentially depending on what his plight is. But if I were to assume what were to happen, I don't want to say that he's going to die. I hope not. <laughs> but I do think that there is going to be a lot more trouble coming for him, so to speak, than we might realize and from what we've seen so far happen to him. Well, I'm here in Vegas, and I'll tell you this. We are the betting capital of the universe. And informally, <laughs> when you talk to people out here, Iron Man is a solid number two as far as the kind of meet his end type of deal sure. right after Captain America. I hate saying it, but you're probably right. It's either Captain America, Iron Man, or both is what I usually hear these days when it comes oh, to who's going to kick the bucket in Endgame. Yeah, I know. that It's going to be a tearjerker. That's all I, all I got to say right now on it. But it is Avengers Endgame. It's coming out the 26th of April. Hope you got your tickets because it's crashed all the major ticket sites 
you got to go ahead now and get your ticket soon if you want to see it the first weekend. Otherwise, you have to go on eBay, and that's going to be a lot of money. Oh, forget it. <laughs> but one last question to ask you, Brett, when I, while you're here, and again, appreciate you joining us, is why do people need to listen to not only your great podcast, the Open Mic Podcast, but also as well, Confessions of a Single Dad? Well, Open Mic Podcast, we do pop culture. I interview a lot of celebrities, entrepreneurs, all types of people. And the idea of open mic is to get people to talk about things that they might not normally talk about when they're on a show. So to get them away from their talking points and to just really get down to the root of who they are as a person. And so the idea of an open mic is where somebody can come along, whether it's a musician or a comedian, a poet, they could talk about things, try things out, and it's a free and it's a safe space for them to do that. So that's the concept, the elevator pitch of the open mic, the elevator pitch for confessions of a single dad. I'm a single dad. I think single dads do a great job most of the time, <laughs> hopefully all the time. And so the point of this show is just to kind of celebrate the victories of the single dads. But I always say, if you're not a single dad, you're still welcome to join in. And that's kind of how the open mic started. And then it went away. So I wanted to bring all of that back with confessions of a single dad. So if you have struggles, if you're a single dad, or if, you know, if you're a single mom, whatever, I, I think you'll benefit from the show because we tackle a lot of topics that are a little bit taboo and try and flesh them out and find out ways that we can just be better parents overall. Now, I mentioned already that these shows you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Are there any other major podcast outlets you want to mention where people should go out of the way to find your podcasts at? Yeah, they're everywhere. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, we're all over the place. So pretty much every podcast player that you can think of or where you listen to shows, Stitcher, Podbean, it's everywhere. So anywhere you listen to your show on your phone, uh, whether it's an Android or an Apple, you can always just type Confessions of a Single Dad or the Open Mic Podcast with Brett Allen and it'll pop into your player. Once again, it is Brett Allen from the Open Mic Podcast and Confessions of a Single Dad. You heard all the outlets. Now it's up to you to go ahead and listen to his show because it sounds like not only with Conventions of a Single Dad, but if you get a chance, the awesome Open Mic Podcast as well. Yes, Brett, thank you. Oh, no problem. Brett, I'll tell you what. I hope you get a chance to come back on the show because you are. I got the open invitation now. You're always welcome to come back on if you have the time because we would love to hear your thoughts on anything going on in pop culture. And your show is awesome too. I love it. So you have an open invitation on mine as well. We'll have to get you in for a taping here soon. I'd love to have you, man. And your show's great. And if you're listening, you're listening to a great show. So thanks for having me, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking your time and appreciate you being part of the pop culture cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. All right, and we're back with the show. Thanks again for joining us. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. And it was another season, I guess, all over the place when it comes to The Walking Dead. Season 9 had, I guess, regained a lot of people's hopes as far as the future for the series. But then they had to go ahead and end it on a, I guess, a anticlimactic note, so to speak, as far as where it's heading to. And here to talk with me today about the ending of season nine is my good friend, 
She is the host of Talking the Dead 18 Plus, plus also the Walking Dead fan base Facebook groups. If you're a big fan of the TWD, you got to go to either one or both of these groups. There's just something always going on with these groups. And that's because of the interactivity by one of the main moderators for both these groups and also my good friend, Daphne Matthew. I know you've got a lot to say, so I'll, I'll just tell you what. We're going to start off with, I guess, the best episode, I think, of it was episode 15, if I may, uh, I guess if I'm getting my, my numbers right, episode 15. And as I made the comment to you, in the world of The Walking Dead, the last thing you want to have is a county fair. That should have never happened. Wow, that was a bad fair. <laughs> I think we found out what not to do at a fair anymore, even with the letdown on who actually ended up on the pipes. I think people just wanted to see that scene play out on the show itself, because in the comics, it was the two main characters was Rosita and King Ezekiel. It was surprising for me. Let's go through the list uh, real quickly on who at the end, because the Pikes are one of the most iconic moments in the comic book series. They recreated that in episode 15 with the Whisperers sending a clear message on exactly where the boundaries are by setting up 10 Pikes with 10 different individuals. From, right. you know, and some of them were, even though they weren't main characters, they were still, you know, at least with two of them, long lasting characters that I think people were surprised that they were actually part of those right. heads on a Pike. Well, I also think some of the other ones, people were surprised because it was like, why did they get piked in the first place? So let's go through the list, starting from the beginning all the way to the end. So the first ones were Alec and Ozzy, who were the highwaymen. So for them to get piked, it was kind of surprising because it was like, well, a lot of people were starting to believe that the highwaymen just came in to be those pike victims. DJ was actually one of the Alexandrians. He was in a couple of episodes with Michonne. Frankie was a big surprise. I think we saw her in a couple of episodes at a glance. So Frankie was surprising. Tammy Rose, I think the reason why she actually got piked was because of the baby. The Whispers left that baby to die. It was kind of surprising to see her on the pike, but I think it had more so to do with the baby. And then after Tammy Rose was, I do believe that was Enid. Enid, total surprise. I mean, she was in training to be a doctor at the hilltop. She was working with Sadiq. She had the romance with Alden, and she got piped. Tara, of course. Tara was, a lot of people are upset about Tara. I wasn't too upset about Tara because, I'm going to be honest, I felt that she should have died a couple of seasons ago because, I mean, in the beginning when Tara first appeared, and she even said it um, on The Talking Dead afterwards, she was only supposed to be on the show for three episodes and she ended up being there five years. Tara, in the beginning, was cool. She was comic relief. She was funny. She was witty. They gave her two girlfriends. Those relationships didn't work out. They both got killed eventually. So I kind of felt Tara's story was coming to the end because, one, they weren't going to put her in another romance. I mean, she's already lost two girlfriends. This season, it was subtle, but it kind of made it known that Tara wasn't really thought about being a leader. When Michonne and Daryl first captured Lydia and they took her to the hilltop, 
Michonne told Daryl to handle it because she trusted him and she asked him to stay on at the hilltop because she felt like he would be more of a leader presence there. She said something to that effect. So I kind of figured when that happened after Jesus dying that Tara was going to be next. And then the last person, Henry. Henry was the message because Henry embarrassed Alpha when he tracked them down and tried to whisk Lydia away again. So uh, Henry was definitely going to die. I thought he was going to die sooner. I thought he was going to die when um, Beta captured him. But after that, I pretty well known that Henry was going to get piped. Of the episodes this season, it was by far the best. It obviously created the most tension. Obviously, it seemed like it should have been the climactic way to end the season. But unfortunately, after a, you know, what, what people are describing as a very good episode and one of the season's best, if not the best, you had an episode to close out the season that seemed very anticlimactic, where it should have just kept episode 15 and actually swapped places with episode 16 and maybe put one before the other instead of ultimately making the decision that you did. It just goes to show the forethought and the the actual planning of The Walking Dead still not there, still is not where it needs to be. And the ratings reflect on it. Whatever high or whatever bonus you got from episode 15 and all the you know the news and, and the interest that came from it, episode 16 was such a downer to the point that it is the worst rated final episode ever of The Walking Dead. But still, when you're talking about numbers where you can get 5 million people to still watch your show, compared to other shows, a lot of shows would like to have that. So be that as it may, you still got a lot of things going on with The Walking Dead. But yes, episode 16 did end on an anticlimactic note. So if you could just cover it real briefly for us as far as what happened so and where it goes into the timeline as far as the future for The Walking Dead. Well, episode 16, in my opinion, was a terrible episode. There were two episodes. And I well, you'll get no really, argument for me on that one. There was no reason for it. It doesn't fit anywhere within that entire season. Okay, so the kingdom fell. This all took place two months after the fail. So the kingdom fell. Disrepair, it was, it was breaking down, and there was nothing they could do to fix it. So they all had to leave the kingdom. I get that. They could have did that. A different way. The snow, I mean, we've known it's been cold in The Walking Dead for nine years. They they do actually have seasons. You actually see them in appropriate attire to reflect that, okay, it's cold outside. But I don't understand the point of the snow. I didn't understand the point of the snowball fight. The best part of the finale for me was Negan. <laughs> Between him getting on Father Gabriel about the three men and the baby situation with Rosita and him actually saving Judith, that was the best part of that entire episode. I didn't understand that episode's place. I mean, if they wanted to start the redemption arc with Negan, they didn't need a snowstorm to do it. I think they ran out of steam. I think the writers got to the point where episode 15 should have just been the finale. They could have did a full episode on the fair and maybe show the individuals getting captured in episode 15. 
and then actually do the reveal for the finale. I don't understand the placement of the episodes, and I don't understand why they had to even have that episode for the finale because it makes no sense. I don't get it. I, I don't get that episode at all. Now, going into the next season with The Walking Dead is confusing because we heard the radio, the voice on the radio at the end of the episode, which is the introduction, if you read the comics, of the Commonwealth. That could happen in season 10. It may happen later in season 10 because right now where season 10 should be going is into the Whisperer War. They did cross the border. They did go over into Alpha's territory and eventually the Whisperer War starts. So that should happen in season 10. And they also have to deal with Denai's exit. How is she going to leave the show? Is she going to die? Is she going to leave? Is she going to go and search for Rick? What's going to happen with the kids? So there's a lot of questions going into season 10, knowing that another major character is leaving. How are they going to do this and still keep the numbers they're keeping? Because I'm going to be honest with you. People talk about the ratings. They complain about the ratings. They're saying the show is losing viewership. There are not many shows that can still say after 10 years that they have over 5 million viewers. For a season that went so well, even after the departure of Maggie and Rick and a few other characters that were background players that you haven't seen in a while, but they're gone from the show, I heard. This was an incredible season until we got to the finale. The finale kind of took the steam out of what Angela Kang was doing all season which was rebuilding and recreating The Walking Dead. I hope that she redeems herself in season 10. I hope they don't drag out storylines. They will never get back to the point to the way it was because you can only do but so much. But they could stop the decline to a certain extent. But like I said, after 10 years, it's really hard to keep your audience, no matter how great your storyline is. But just like everybody else, we'll have to wait and see. Yes, we will have to wait and see. I've got literally just five minutes left to ask you one last question, and that's on Marvel, on some happier subjects coming up, because Avengers <laughs> Endgame is coming up later this month. i got to ask you, a movie of yours in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's a favorite and how it ties into Avengers Endgame. I love all the movies, but my favorite movies have always been the Iron Man movies. And the reason why I'm going to say the Iron Man movies and how it ties into Endgame is because from, I'll say, the perspective of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man is the beginning, and Iron Man will probably be the end in this last Avengers movie. He started it all, I think, with out the introduction of Iron Man and the way he came about in the universe, they would not have the success they had, and they would not have this story that's been going on. So basically, I, I'm going to say my favorite one out of all of them, like I said, I love them all, but Iron Man is like the top for me. And we'll have to see what happens on April 26th, but I understand it's really going to be a very intense movie. 
it's kind of tough to say goodbye to this aspect of the Marvel Universe because we've seen these actors in their various ensemble movies as well as their own spinoff movies for the last 15 years or more. And to see that come to the end in the manner that it's going to come to an end, it's very sad. But I'm looking forward to it on the 26th. Hopefully I'll be one of the first people to see it. (laughs) And we'll talk about it, you know, sometime in the near future. Sounds like a plan indeed. Once again, it is our own Daphne Matthew from Talking the Dead 18 Plus and also the Walking Dead fan base on Facebook. If you're a TWD fan, you got to join up and be a part of all the great things going on with both those groups. Just so great to always talk to you, Daphne, about all the things going on with The Walking Dead and everything in pop culture. But always great to have you on the show and part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world, seven days a week with our two great shows that we put out each and every week. Plus we put out bonus stuff on our pop culture cosmos channel. You got to check out our radio listings and some of our podcast listings on our pop culture cosmos, Facebook page also as well on Twitter at pop culture cosmo and also pop culture cosmos on Instagram as well. And you know, we've also got two great things coming up because on the 25th, it's a charity game night at retro city games in Henderson, Four great video game tournaments, Apex Legends, Fortnite, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. We just announced for the first place for three of those four tournaments is an Xbox One. And for the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is going to be a Nintendo Switch. So if you're in the Las Vegas or Henderson area on April 25th, come on down. It's 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. Four great tournaments. There's also going to be some live music with Vedius, Hyperschmidt, True Die, and Serious Damage. Plus, Josh is going to be there with Humanica Media and Topic Ocalypse. Jamie and Tony are going to be there with Game Source. Sal from Mario Party Wars. The guys from Go Brothers Gaming and a whole bunch more going on. Just go check it out. It's the Charity Game Night. Proceeds benefiting the UMC Children's Hospital, Three Square, and Make-A-Wish of Southern Nevada. Please check it out. April 25th, make a donation. If you want to go ahead and be a part of the tournament, you got to make a donation. But even if you can't, just make a donation when you stop by Retro City Games, either beforehand or on April 25th when you join us from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. And then also Level Up Expo, the 26th, the 27th, and 28th. We're going to be doing a panel 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. It's a live pop culture cosmos. Going to have all these great guests that are going to be there, including... Josh, you're going to be there as well with Humanic Comedian Topicocalypse, plus also Go Brothers Gaming, Sal from Mario Party Wars, the guys from Game Source, Doug from Retro City Games, and there's going to be a ton of stuff we're going to be talking about, including Avengers Endgame, Days Gone, Mortal Kombat 11, and a whole bunch more. Join us for a live panel at 
the Level Up Expo. That's April 27th, 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Las Vegas Convention Center. For ticket information, go to levelupexpo.com. That's L-V-L-U-P-E-X-P-O.com. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, so share the goods, my friend. What's going on with Humanica Media? Uh, we just put out a new episode of Topic Ocalypse. You can catch now. We're talking about robots and is the world ready for robots? I know I'm not. There's either a fear or a anticipation going on, judging by all the Super Bowl commercials this past year. Well, that and people have seen the Terminator. The really good ones, I should say. <laughs> hey, in all fairness, can we just say that Terminator uh, Salvation was a decent flick? Decent is probably the best thing I could say about it. The game itself might have been actually better. Because, dude, Sam Worthington, gotta love the guy, man. Like, his, I think James Cameron well, ruined his career. Yes, yes, I agree with you on that. Yeah, but yeah Sam Worthington is yeah, probably because of Avatar. He could have been the next great action star, but he got too tied up in James Cameron stuff. Now all he can do is focus on the family, Christian films, it, it would seem. And James Cameron Avatar stuff. And James Cameron Avatar stuff. But also, what do you think about the news of Vin Diesel jumping into the Avatar universe? Why not? He is Groot. He is Groot. He's playing another tree baby in the actual Avatar universe. Oh, I hope so. That'd be cool. Be that as it may, Vin Diesel or anybody else jumping into the Avatar universe, I got to see it. And just if Avatar 2, around the time whenever it comes out, finally, we're going to be talking a lot about that because there is some great anticipation and is Disney going to fit the bill for any more avatars after that? We'll have to wait and see. But my friend, before we head on out, got to be talking about the woes of GameStop because they recently announced their numbers for fiscal 2018. And to me, that was an eye-opener if there ever was one about the brick-and-mortar type stores being able to be viable in the world of video games and the video game marketplace at this point in time because, get this, my friend, $673 million operating loss for fiscal 2018, my friend. So I want to hear your thoughts. What needs to change? What needs to take place in order to keep GameStop alive? Their search for a new buyer for their company ended last month because it didn't look like anybody wanted to actually pay into or buy into GameStop. So them's not good signs, my friend, as GameStop is really hitting hard times do you see a bright future for them? Because at this point in time, I sure don't. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I've been reading different things and different points of view on what's going on. I had read something that GameStop's trying to get into the esports game by opening their own esports arena. And they also already bought into an esports team as well. Right, right. And I also heard that it was something about how the fiscal year was a lot longer than it was before. And, you know, I don't know how much extra a few days is going to cut off that $673 million. But GameStop doesn't know what they want to be. Do they want to be a hot topic? Do they want to be a video game store? Do they want to sell action figures? They can't quite figure it out. And it sounds like they're actually making most of their money is coming from collectibles and used games. So that makes me wonder if they could focus more on that stuff or a new game. Okay. What is, what is the cost of a new game to them? How much does it cost them to store it in their store? Cause right. You look at Nintendo switch games, Nintendo switch games never go on sale. You go into GameStop. They have so many Nintendo switch games that just sit there and take up space. How much does that cost them to keep them in their store? And when games go on sale, like remember back when they used to do the um, buy two get one free use game sale, 
if they did more stuff like that instead of just putting junk on sale, like if you looked at their spring sale catalog, there's not really a lot in there that hasn't already been on sale for the past two months. So that being said, maybe they need to go to a more like book off type store that they sell used games, maybe not sell so many new games, maybe only sell like new stuff, big releases, right? Sell that kind of stuff. But maybe if someone wants an obscure new game, they can go online and find it. So mainly focus on collectibles and used games and kind of have like a place where people can go and trade used games and, and get new used games and stuff like that. Because it sounds like having these brand new games on their shelves is eating up money. But that one in the past was a means to an end. As somebody who's run video game stores in the past, I could tell you, you're not going to stay in business if you just sold new games. I mean, Walmart, Best Buy, GameStop, any of them, it's just a means to an end because the profit margin is not there. Not there at all when it comes to new games, especially if they go on sale. That just cuts the margin even further. Sometimes you're actually selling it as a loss when it comes to some of these games, which is really problematic if you're trying to use that as a bigger portion of your business. And you're right. A lot of those games are sitting on the shelves gathering dust, but it's supposed to be a means to end because, okay, you come and buy that new game for me. You're supposed to come back and trade that in. And I'm supposed to resell that now used game at a nice 40 to 60% profit. And that's the idea when I resell. That's where they make a good portion of their money, the used games. And the collectibles are actually, in a lot of cases, very profitable as well, depending on which ones that you're talking about. That can actually garner them a nice chunk of change as well. So I understand why they purchased ThinkGeek and took over that market and tried to go ahead and, like you said, become like a hot topic and whatnot, because it's certainly working for a hot topic. But GameStop just doesn't really have a definitive vision going forward, especially with the digital marketplace. People are wanting to buy digital more and more and more. There's no need to go into a GameStop. So your thoughts going forward on what's going on with GameStop, I don't see a bright future, my friend, for maybe the company will stay on as far as an online format, but I don't see a happy future for the brick and mortar stores. I see them starting to either shave off a few of them or a massive just shutdown as we've seen already with several retail outlets in the recent past. Well, there's, I mean, they don't have to put the nail on the coffin yet. There's still plenty of things they can do to stay afloat. The collectible market is good. If they had more collectibles, more things that people would want or even kind of like how, uh, you know, our, our friends over Retro City Games, you know, they have collectibles, but they also have like, you want to go in and buy a Gundam model or something, you can go in and do that there. They have a lot of things that they could do. And also, it would be a perfect time to jump back into that market and get into the retro gaming scene, right? They sell that stuff online. They sell Sega games, Nintendo games. They have a lot of sales I see all the time. And I don't think it would cost them anything to really bring that stuff back into the store because I can't tell you how many times I've gone to GameStop and wished I could buy a Sega game. They need to try different things, you know. It's like I would hate to see all the physical GameStops go away because I do occasionally like to go shop there when I, uh, you know, I'm walking through the mall or something. But what would you like to see going forward from them? At this point in time, it's really hard to say because they don't provide me much incentive to get inside the store. I go maybe three, four times a year, five times a year. And that's only because if I'm looking for cool video game t-shirts, because the only time I actually purchase anything there is on Black Friday. That's the only time I purchase things at GameStop is there, unless I'm looking for something out of the blue, like I said, like a video game t-shirt or whatnot, because they just don't have much to offer someone like me who can get 
all these things so quickly online and very easily from my own home that are either as good or even lower of a price. And you're right, when, when you've said before, as far as the value of these games, the trade-in and all that, that's a common joke that's out there when, when everybody talks about GameStop. And that's one of the things that was first talked about when I reported about the major loss that they suffered in fiscal 2018 was, you know, you buy a game from them and you come back with it and the trade-in value is like minimal. It usually just drops off 50, 60, 70% from what the actual original value is, which is a killer for people that are trying to go ahead and be returned customers. It's just incentive to just go ahead and go somewhere else. You know, you're you're spitting in their face a little bit. Like I, you know, again, I mentioned a business like Bookoff, and you have a lot of people going in there because they can get some pretty solid trade-in values, and they also get used games that aren't going to cost them an arm and a leg to play. So GameStop does a very bad job at, and you know, they do the thing. If you're a pro member, you get twenty-five to fifty percent more on your trade-in value, but that's still costing you money. So in the end, you're not really getting anything out of that membership. They don't treat their customers very well. They don't do a good job of enticing people to come in because why are you trading games anymore? I'd rather have something sit on my shelf than trade it in for $3. And the Circle of Life program, which I will admit, as someone who was running video game stores in the past, game crazies and whatnot, they had a similar program that they wanted to go ahead and get you enticed in the MVP programs, get the extended warranties, get the pre-orders and the trade-ins and all that type of stuff. And the Circle of Life program almost comes off too harsh, too heavy, depending on how you talk to the customers and really can be a deterrent to actually anybody else that wants to come in at a later time to come into a GameStop if they're just constantly chided about going ahead and you have to buy this, you have to buy that, you have to buy this, you have to buy that. If you're too pushy about certain things, you're just going to go ahead and send that customer away for good. Right, and that's the annoying thing because they, they're pushy about their, their pre-orders and they're pushy about their protection plans. And then I had one guy today, like I went and bought Kingdom Hearts, the story so far, and this guy was in there like heckling me about not having played it ever. And I was like, well, that's not the best way to get me to purchase more stuff from you guys. And see, I've had similar instances about the lack of knowledge when you go into a GameStop like the time I wanted to go ahead and pre-order Uncharted 4, and they asked me, what system did it go for? <laughs> I said, um, well, it's a PlayStation 4 exclusive. You know what? I'm good. I'm good. Can we just bring back Electronics Boutique, please? There you go. There you go. Actually, if you went to a certain spot here in Las Vegas, they still have the sign up for Electronics Boutique after it's been gone for many years. But there's this shopping center where they still have, they just were too lazy and they never took the sign down. Maybe they're hoping they'll come back. The good old days, man. The good old days. Or Toys R Us, man. I, I'd be down to have either of those come back. Well, there's always rumors of Toys R Us coming back, but I have to see it to believe it. What are your thoughts out there on the future of GameStop? Are you more optimistic than either Josh or myself, especially me? I hope you are because we do want to hear your thoughts. I'm hoping I'm being proven wrong, but my experience running video game stores plus $673 million fiscal year loss, it's just not a great sign. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, it was just an awesome episode today. I want to thank Brett Allen 
and Daphne Matthew for joining us on the show today. Just tremendous having them here. Once again, you got to check out Breck Allen's podcast, the Open Mic Podcast, and Confessions of a Single Dad. And Daphne, you got to check out what she's doing as curator of the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead on Facebook. Coming up, my friend, Friday, it's Hellboy. I know that's going to be a major subject we're going to be talking about for the PCZ Multiverse. But any last thoughts on the way out? No, I think we just about covered it. Um, Yeah, we're good, man. All right. Again, always appreciate you stopping by, my friend, and joining us right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. And please check us out later this month at Level Up Expo and the Retro City Game Night. We truly would appreciate it and all those great charities and also everybody at Level Up Expo as well. It's going to be a great time. Got to check it all out. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.